2: Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com ACAST. The Gaudy What's wrong with you?
1: Right, so obviously I don't live in London, right? So I have to commute down here to make this podcast about like an 80 minute train journey and every time. I'm like, oh, get some work done on the train. And then you get to certain points where the internet just cuts out and you cannot do anything, right? So I can't download attachments. I can't edit Google Docs. Does this sound familiar? Maybe you've wanted to spend your commute watching the latest episode of your favourite television show, only to realise you forgot to download it on Wi-Fi and now you have to buffer it a minute at a time. Or you found yourself in a meeting room with a terrible internet connection, unable to download that important document you need. Or turned on your PlayStation 4 to show a friend a game, only to be told it requires a software update. Low internet speeds, aren't the most pressing issue facing society today, but they do feel like an unnecessary frustration. Last month in Las Vegas, the annual Consumer Electronics Show showcased some of what we can expect from the tech world in 2019. This year's CES was memorable for several reasons, from intelligent toilets to banned sex toys. But one trend kept popping up throughout the four days of the exhibition. 5G.
0: It's a public internet. It's the future public internet. You know, you can have these latencies today, but you have to pay private fibre from one place to another. We are building a powerful public internet where you can do endless applications on it.
1: Most of us will have to wait until 2020 to see just what 5G can do. But after ten years in a four G world, we're still not totally prepared for what the consequences of this next generation of wireless communication might be.
3: So five G uh, definitely poses some some challenges when it comes to your home, your 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 stability of your connections, but also uh, what hackers have access into your environment. It, it provides a whole new mechanism for very fast data transfer.
1: I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week we're looking at what could be a game changer in the technology world or just something that makes it even easier to binge Netflix. This is Chips With Everything.
0: Wireless started with uh, Martin Cooper in the United States, who made the very first phone call using an analog transmission. So just, you know, during during the wars- probably.
1: Misha Dollar is a professor of wireless communications at King's College London, where he heads up the Center for Telecommunications Research. He's also a musician, But we'll get to why that's important in a while. Just like humans, each generation of wireless learns from the last. So producer Danielle asked Misha to give a brief history of how we got to 5G, which starts, as you might expect, with 1G, the analogue generation of the 1980s.
0: What they pioneered is a smaller version of the mobile phone. It was still very big, but small. And then we moved on to digital generations, 2G. Then we moved on to 3G, which was digital and a little bit of multimedia. Then we moved on to 4G, which was super duper internet already. And now we have a 5G, which has fascinating properties. And what we see really going from generation to generation As a consumer, we always experience a 10 times improvement in average. So if you have in 3G maybe a 1 megabit per second connection whilst you're on the train, in 4G you had 10, in 5G you will have 100. So the systems can do more, but the average experience is always a factor of 10 better.
1: It doesn't require a great leap of imagination to presume that 4G would be followed by 5G. But we've been talking about this new generation for so many years now that it's easy to lose sight of what it will actually do.
0: One of the biggest difference 5G to 4G is that we have so much more spectrum. That means that we will have a significantly higher data rate at the same time, we have optimized the system in the back so we as consumers wouldn't notice that, but the engineers like the, uh, the BTs and uh, the EEs and the Vodafones and the O2s, they have been optimizing the system. And we are able to do now a delay, what we call in technical term latency, a latency of just a few milliseconds. And uh, that has a very disruptive uh, impact on how we will communicate in the future.
1: System updates on computers or smart technology can sometimes go unnoticed by the end user. But as Misha explains, if 5G succeeds, it could have a considerable effect on how we communicate.
0: Look, the human brain is geared towards 10 milliseconds into action, so I I have that feeling of immediacy if uh, I see somebody in front of me, because that signal comes into my eyes as being processed by my brain within 10 milliseconds. Now, when I'm on a Skype call, that is significantly longer, and my brain knows that actually the person is really far. I don't have that feeling the person is with me. Bringing down the communications down within these 10 milliseconds, suddenly that whole engagement, the comms engagement with my peers, even if they're physically not with me, changes. It feels as if they're with me. And that is what 5G can do. It can give us the very low latency, so I'll have a, what I call Skype on steroids. It will feel (laughs) as if you're with me. And because it has such a wide bandwidth, I can transmit a fully virtual reality, very immersive picture. So that will be one of the big transformations of 5G.
1: Misha speaks with experience in fact he is so confident about 5g's ability that he decided to put it to the test using his 10 year old daughter noah
0: because often with the telecom industry you you see that it's just boxes nobody understands so we just wanted to give it some soul What we did is something nobody has done before. We had a 5G equipment installed in the Guild Hall here in London. And the Guild Hall is the oldest entertainment venue in the United Kingdom. I was in Berlin under the Brandenburger Tor. And I was playing the piano one of my compositions. And my daughter, Noah, she was singing uh, here in London. Now. People have done that before, but the novelty was that the, the delay, the latency, was so low that it felt she was with me. So there's a video. You can see that literally at the beginning as I start playing the song, she uh, calibrates to the uh, to the pitch of the piano, and I calibrate in real time to their sing- her singing speed, and it felt she was with me. And, you know, it's 20 milliseconds from London to Berlin and back, and it's just, you know, almost uh, half speed what you have if you listen to music from your computer. So if you just listen to music from your computers, 35 milliseconds, we brought this down. It's It was just, it was so emotional. I almost cried on the night, yeah.
1: As well as having fun with what 5G can do, Misha has written extensively about how it could improve other industries, like some aspects of medicine.
0: My big vision is really to construct the next generation internet. I gave it a name and I called it the Internet of Skills. The idea is to virtualize skills, to literally have doctors help from any point in the world to any other point in the world. We have mechanics repairing cars from anywhere to anywhere, musicians performing. So it's really literally virtualizing skills. And one of the examples I gave is the medical industry, because we find that, um, you know, specific medical conditions, very specifically work on a very interesting project now with uh, colon cancer. So the colon cancer detection rate in rural areas is very poor. It is very poor not because they're not good doctors in the country, but because the good doctors want to live in the capitals, right? And often the patients come into the capitals when it's too late. Imagine you could virtualize that skill. Imagine our best doctors could actually do, you know, diagnosis, could do operations interventions remotely without traveling, and we could leverage on the global skill set to help the population anywhere in the world.
1: In the world of science and technology, we often see that while companies are advertising the newest product that we should all have right now, there are people in the background busily working on the next big thing that we don't even know we need yet. One panel at this year's CES was all about the potential of 6G. But Misha thinks it's unhelpful to keep looking towards the next generation, or even to call them generations at all.
0: I have been advocating that, you know, it doesn't make sense to talk about these generations. And uh, the, the, I give the example of the internet, right? So you don't you don't hear about a conversation that we have a 3G internet, 4G internet, or 5G internet. So we we just have an internet. And it's been evolving over the years with features and all that. And I think 5G is now as close to the internet as it can get. You don't notice the difference. In fact, you forgot that you're on 4G and 5G as long as you're great browsing experience experience, right? So it's part of the wider internet fabric. And I think we should start forgetting talking about the generation. My hope, in fact, I published an article about this to say there will be no 6G, but people have started talking about 6G. So I'm not sure. I'm not a crystal voltella, So I don't know what will happen, but I wish it would happen what you say. We don't talk about generations. We talk about features. We innovate very quickly. We don't need to wait for 10 years. Let's do things really quickly at quick innovation cycles.
1: But for now, we are stuck with a generation system. And Misha does want us all to see 5G as something to be enthusiastic about.
0: It is now, in terms of capabilities, so strong that the latency gives you this really fully kind of immersive and uh, very responsive kind of experience you can get. And what ex- excites me about it is, it's a public Internet. It's the future public Internet. You know, you can have these latencies today, but you have to pay private fiber from one place to another. We are building a powerful public Internet where you can do endless applications on it and i've shown music i've shown medicine we've done cars and drones but you know the the sky's the limit we leave that to the very you know creative innovators in in the uk and around the world to come up with uh, brilliant new ideas
1: as you may have gathered a public internet is public for everyone even people we may not want to have access
3: But what 5G does is it introduces a substantial amount of range, speed, and everything else. So it can allow attackers the the ability to download things in your environment much faster, have much more uh, sustained access into your environment much faster.
1: More on that after this short break.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing
3: mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at
2: mintmobile.com slash switch
1: 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com
2: finding your perfect home was hard but thanks to burrow furnishing it has never been easier Today in Focus is a new Guardian podcast that brings you closer to our journalism by getting behind the news every weekday. You'll join me, Anushka Rastana, talking to people at the centre of the big stories impacting our world. We'll use personal perspectives and expert analysis to put you at the heart of what matters. Listen to Today in Focus and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you choose to listen.
1: Welcome back to Chips with Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week we're looking at 5G how it might help or hinder. I presume you would be one of the people, Dave, who would recommend people put a sticker over their webcam.
3: Actually, it's funny. Uh, when I launched Skype, I didn't know if we were doing a, a, a video camera or, or not. So I actually removed the sticker from the top of my camera uh, <laughs> so that just in case you needed to see me or whatever. But yeah, actually, I really do. Dave
1: Kennedy the is the CEO of TrustedSec, a company that is hired to hack products, networks and other systems in order to anticipate and protect against criminal attacks. And they don't go easy on the people paying them.
3: We specialize in information security consulting, and uh, essentially, we are hackers trying to break into computer systems uh, for some of the world's largest companies. Uh, we simulate hackers. We physically break into buildings. We uh, we uh, break windows and try to steal you know steal steal money and things like that, uh, as well as hacking into some of the most uh, the world's most uh, uh, secure systems out there. It's uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: I assume you don't mean physical windows. You don't throw bricks through windows.
3: Sometimes we do. It depends on uh, if, if physical destruction is allowed. Like uh, sometimes customers want to actually simulate an actual burglar, so we'll actually uh, crowbar open doors. We'll, uh, sometimes uh, physical destruction is necessary to get into the building.
1: OK, I should point out that before every job, Dave and the client agree on a set of parameters for just how much physical damage the team is allowed to inflict. Besides, they don't always have to be so destructive. Sometimes they can just look around an office.
3: Desks are a great place for us to uh, to find information, usually a treasure trove. In fact, uh, we were doing a, uh, a branch office for a bank, and uh, our whole goal was to get access to the bank vault. And usually the bank vault has uh, two keys uh, to enter it in. If they're, they're more the old school ones, you know, the, the turnstile ones. Those are usually pretty easy. Uh, but the, the more, more newer ones are more digital. And so we actually broke into this bank vault uh, at like two o'clock in the morning. And uh, we're just going through the manager's offices and found the one part of the code in one part of the desk and the other part of the code in the other part of the desk, which allowed us to get access to the vault. And then we just lockpicked the safety deposit boxes. And then we were actually able to uh, get access to it. We had money and everything. We had cash, uh, big bags of cash, and we had pictures with it and everything. We had, unfortunately, we had to put the cash back. But people leave passwords or, or hints to, to what's happening uh, all the time.
1: So you used to be a hacker for the National Security Agency. How do you end up with a job like that and what does it entail?
3: You know, it's it's interesting. I, when I was in high school, I actually almost failed out of high school because I hated going to school. I was always programming video games and programming computers and trying to figure out how things work and tearing apart my Teddy Ruxpin, which probably ages me a little bit, uh, you know, to figure out how the hardware worked on it and how it communicated and how it moved its jaw. I never really uh, uh, sunk into the whole um, traditional Uh, uh, school systems. And so I knew that when I was getting out of high school, that uh, uh, college probably wasn't the best idea for me, uh, because I really didn't enjoy school. And so I ended up joining the intelligence community uh, in the Marine Corps, specifically, uh, working uh, for the intelligence community, doing a lot of this, the cyber operations, more of the hacking and and understanding computer systems and figuring out how to break into them and, and all those different things, uh, cryptography, breaking signals, intelligence, uh, all of that stuff. And and so I really uh, kind of homed in on my security st- uh, stuff there uh, when I was uh, in, in the military.
1: Dave learned the basics of hacking from his time in the military. After five years and two tours in Iraq, he left his post and started TrustedSec. You remember, that company you can hire to break into your office. He has also testified in front of Congress on two occasions on the threats we face in security in the government space.
3: We noticed uh, when when healthcare.gov was first released that the site itself had a lot of issues staying up and, and running. And the the, the the testimony wasn't against healthcare.gov. It was about the state of security, especially in the federal government, and, and how the federal government works and how they source websites. And security usually isn't a priority in any way, shape, or form for any of these sites that are going on. And so when we saw healthcare.gov actually um, shutting down uh, and, and it, people couldn't actually register, the site was getting... Uh, slammed and they couldn't handle the, the network services, uh, it, it, it's a good indication that they didn't do a lot of testing around the site. And so we started not poking around, just looking from what we call an open source intelligence gathering perspective to understand how the site worked. Um, and we saw a lot of exposures out there, and we, we reported those. And so my, my whole testimony was going up there to try to communicate that, hey, this is a big risk for us, especially from nation states and adversaries that really would like to do us harm if all of our sites are out there, all of our information's out there, that's, that's ripe for the picking for them.
1: Dave was interested in what was happening at this year's Consumer Electronics Show, but he noticed some potential security flaws with some of the technology.
3: If you look at what's happening right now, uh, smart homes are like the big push for everybody out there. Autonomous cars, uh, 5G. You have a lot of new technology that, that's coming out there. Uh, these are all things that, that are becoming more and more prevalent in our lives, in the, the integrated and connected lives that we have. And there's a lot of security risk that comes along with that. Uh, having integrated systems into your house, each one of those systems are, are ways that hackers can break into your environment. And honestly, most of these companies are, are manufacturers first and IT companies second. So their, their security models are usually uh, pretty weak. And We find a lot of these devices are, are very, very vulnerable or susceptible to attacks, which introduce risk uh, into your um, into your homes. There was a, a leak that came out from what was called the Vault 7, the, the CIA. Uh, where they were able to implant devices into your, your smart uh, TVs and eavesdrop on communica- uh, you know, communications enable the webcams uh, to hear that. And so there's a lot of, a lot of things that, that smart homes can, can really do to, to make your lives easier, but also uh, introduce a lot of risk.
1: We put some of the security concerns about 5G to Professor Misha Dollar, the wireless communications professor from King's College, London.
0: Yeah, we always say technology is good, and then after a while we see a, a fault. And, you know, from a design point of view, we are, we are really conscious about uh, the problems we will be facing with 5G. And I'll just tell you one of them. Um, One thing which a consumer doesn't see is that the entire infrastructure has been softwareized. So what does that mean? Before 4G, 3G, 2G, when we were deploying the infrastructure, and infrastructure you don't see as a consumer, but when we deploy that, these were purpose-made hardware boxes which, which would just do 3G or 4G. 5G is a big revolution. It is um, now a softwareization that we run essentially a 5G software on a commodity hardware. So I can buy any type of servers and port any type of algorithms on top. And I think that's a really big uh, revolution happening. But the moment you softwareize things, you're increasing what we call the surfaces of attack because now we have many entry points, right? Before, if something was going wrong, we knew it's a box, we just take it out, we switch it off. Now we have a true software infrastructure. So to protect that properly is a big challenge. We are very aware of that. So we have tried to put as much security in place as we can. We're trying very hard also from a regulatory point of view to keep the networks separate. So Ofcom really makes sure that we have literally independent um, operators with independent infrastructure. That there's never a single point of failure, but as we know, there's no hundred percent security. So therefore, you know, the research community, innovation community is really working now on mechanisms to make sure that, you know, damage will not happen.
1: Dave, are we ready for five G? I,
3: I think we will be fine when we go to five G. I think that. Uh, there will be some some hurdles that we'll have to overcome. I think there'll be some new uh, attacks that happen that, that we'll have to overcome. I think that the technology itself uh, will at least be able to provide a lot more information and data that can be transferred uh, across the board. I mean, they're looking at using smart meters that can you know, regulate and transfer data real time to the energy companies. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to this. The, the risk, though, is that this technology really hasn't been vetted through all the way yet. And, and when you introduce any type of new technology, if it hasn't, there's always that possibility of something catastrophic occurring. Uh, and, and I think that's one thing that we have to be cognizant of when 5G comes out, you know, maybe wait a little bit uh, before it comes out to, to see how it, it operates, how it works, and, and what the security industry does in order to identify what exposures there are with it.
1: Will you be ready to try hacking it?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as soon as it comes out. <laughs> so, it, it, that's why I actually like CES. CES is one of my, my, my favorite uh, times of the year because you get to see uh, new technology. I'm like, oh, I want to try to hack that. I want to try to hack that. I want to do that. that. That vacuum that now can, can communicate with everything else out there. I want to try to hack that. Uh, it's, it's a whole new treasure trove of, of pieces of hardware that we can take apart and figure out how it works and communicates. Uh, I definitely, definitely will, will look forward to uh, to going after 5G as well.
1: And on that note, we'll end the show and wait patiently to see what 5G will bring to the table. I'd like to thank Misha Dollar and Dave Kennedy for joining me this week. There will be links for both Dave's website and Misha's live 5G performance with his daughter Noah in this week's episode description on The Guardian website. Don't forget to send any ideas you have for potential future episodes to chip's podcast at theguardian.com. I'm off to catch my train home, let's see if the internet lets me get any work done. And when I'm not battling dodgy internet, I really love my job. This episode of Chips With Everything was sponsored by Guardian Jobs. And they can help you find your good company and, hopefully, good Wi-Fi at organisations with like-minded individuals. Find your good company at gu.com slash good company. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Thanks for listening.
2: for more great podcasts from the Guardian just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts spring is that you warmer temps mean new Albert styles meet the super collection the lightest ever shoes from Albert's now in fresh colors these must have travel shoes have a lighter than air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever